Well, we're at episode three, everyone. Karthik and I figured this is a good time to release our interview with Jim and Mike. This is going to be a super fun interview. Jim and Mike bring us answers from the unique viewpoint of expert individual contributors. I think another reason why this interview stands out is because all of us can relate to them since everyone in the professional community at some capacity is an individual contributor. Jim and Mike talk about not only how you can get a job, but how you can stay at the top of your game every day at your job. Personally, I work with both of them every day, and I love that this episode is going to bring to the world what I learned from them. Before I ramble on further, I'm going to introduce them. James Blout, aka Jim, is a staff QA engineer at Spirant Communications. He works on the testing of Octobox systems. Jim started in the industry in December of 1999, working in tech support for Cayman Systems. The products were DSL and Ethernet WAN-based routers that also had wireless open-air interfaces. They moved on to Home RF and 802.11b wireless, eventually focusing on 802.11b. Jim then moved into system test in the early 2000s and eventually specialized in Wi-Fi testing. He spent 19 years with a core group of engineers that survived multiple acquisitions. In January of 2020, he came on board with Octoscope. According to Jim, Octoscope has been a very challenging and exciting journey. Octoscope works on the cutting edge of the industry for wireless test equipment that needs to be ready before the new technology gets into the customer's hands. Mike Hartman is a senior staff software engineer at Spirant Communications. He develops embedded software for the Wi-Fi testbed devices at Spirant, providing client devices with the latest Wi-Fi technology. Mike graduated from WPI as a BSWE in 1995 and began his career at Data General, later EMC, now Dell, working on firmware for their Clarion data storage products. In 2001, he joined Cayman Systems to bring up the 802.11b radios on their router products. And he worked with that group providing the latest wireless software for 18 years across many acquisitions. Mike eventually managed a small team that included folks from California, Massachusetts, and India. Mike joined Octoscope in the fall of 2020, and according to Mike, he has loved the much more open space of development at a small company where there are a broad range of problems to solve. He says he is fortunate to have worked with a great many talented co-workers and decent people over the course of his career. Jim and Mike, welcome to the EIKF project. I'm so happy to have you guys here. This is going to be a lot of fun. I work with you guys every day and I want the world to see what I've learned from you guys. Uh, thank you for doing this. Thanks for having us. Sure. Thanks for having us. Yeah. All right. Uh, I'm going to start with the first question. What was your first job and what is one thing that you guys took away from it that you carry with you today? Um, I'll start with Mike. Uh, my first job was when I was 15. My parents had bought me a beater of a car and they told me I needed to pay for the gas and the insurance. So I got the job at a lumber yard. Uh, I, I slung lumber and uh, bags of uh, manure. <laughs> and uh, it was a lot of hard work. It was just the weekends I worked uh, after, after I was in high school, obviously. And um, 
a lot of hard work and I came out of that thinking I don't want to do this for the rest of my life. <laughs> so it was a good experience. I'm glad I did it. Uh, my first job was working at a gas station service station. It was a family business and it was one of those jobs where the worst days were when people's cars would break down and we'd have to be working outside in the winter or the hottest days of the summer. And similar to Mike, I kind of figured after a while that I wasn't going to spend a long time doing that and kind of moved on. But it did show you, you know, get you taught at a young age. I, I mean, I started that probably when I was 14 or 15 and stayed there for a little while. And it just taught you, you know, you learned how to work and what it took to get things done and completing projects and all yeah it was kind of in my end was like dealing with customers which seems like that's part of every job like if their cars weren't ready when you told them they were they were unhappy <laughs> or if you fixed it and it didn't get fixed completely they also were very unhappy yeah you just learn that customer is always the important person to keep happy in any creation what's one significant turning point in your career that's 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 calling you guys your before getting into this industry i was working is like managing a store and the store was getting sold so it was time to look for a new career and we had a lottery sales there and i remember telling somebody that i was thinking into going into computers just like this lottery machine computer that i'm working on and the guy said ah, that's not really a computer there so but it just looked like a, a good field to go in so i was kind of pushed into it but there was classes that looked like a quick turnaround and i started with those and got into into the support field. I've worked on 8086 computers and uh, the floppy disks that actually you could bend. I think there was six inch floppy disks or something. Five and a half. Yeah, five, 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 five and a half. Yeah. No, five and a half were the solid ones. Yeah, I, I finally threw those all out like a couple of years ago. <laughs> well, after we were at um, through all of those uh, acquisitions. And then I finally had to pull a resume out. I was hoping it wasn't on a floppy disk at that point. I was lucky it was in a file. Yeah. Yeah, but where am I gonna go to get the resume off of this? Karthik and I actually learned about 8086 in our microprocessor course. You had to remember the sequence of steps that you ended up keying in at your 8086 board or your 8085 board. And you were like, oh my God, God knows how all these Verilog and VHDL engineers do this for a living. Wow. Uh, you know, it's funny is uh, when, I, when I was in college, we, we also, our labs, we had 86 uh, uh, processors, except they're a little bit newer at the time. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we did the same programming. You know, it's, it's, yeah. it's a pretty common system to bring up on. So I did a lot of assembly on, on those. So th that and PowerPC, that was the other big one. Honestly, I, my career feels like it's just been like one straight road. Uh, the biggest, I think the biggest choice I made was very, at the very beginning, I graduated as a electrical engineer and uh, I had to decide to, do I go as a hardware engineer or software engineer? And honestly, what it came down to was in school, the hardware engineering courses were a struggle for me. Uh, I, had, I had to work really hard to even get the degree. And, uh, but the software stuff came, came naturally. So, it, um, so when I came out of college, I was interviewing for both and, uh, I ended up, uh, just the software engineering interviews just felt more natural and like, that's, you know, that's what I want to do. Uh, so that's what it came out. And, uh, honestly, it's having seen how the industry has gone, I, I'm pretty sure I've made the right choice on that. So I think this is similar to the career trajectory that me and Nandini have had. I think when we got into electricals and electronics and we were like, 
why are we here? They were like, oh yeah, you can either go down the electrical path or you can go down the computer science path. And I think I decided to go down the comp side path and she decided to go down the pure electrical path. And it's, 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 it's kind of making me think about what we were told when we were doing undergrad. This is one of my favorite questions to ask. What is, what is one thing that you guys have learned throughout the course of your career that you had to unlearn? Uh, coming from an electrical engineering background, I tend to think from the bottom up in coding. So whenever, whenever I was debugging problems, I would always start right down at the assembly code, like trying to figure out where, where, where the pointer became null, that sort of thing. So I, I tend to work bottom up trying to solve problems and it took forever to, if you've ever worked with assembly or with GDB, it's, it's a very lengthy process. And, uh, you know, working with other engineers over the course of my career, I started realizing that their approach to problem solving was a lot different. It, a lot of times it started with code review, just review your code, take a look, look for stupid little errors because 90% of the time it's just a stupid little error. Um, you know, like a semicolon in the wrong location. And that's it's a it's it's a much more efficient way of pro problem solving. Uh, so a top down approach, you know, for look at the forest first, then start looking down at the trees. And uh, it's, it's, some people are, are very detail oriented, and and it's easy for them to or not easy. It's uh, instinctive for them to start at the at the lowest layer and kind of work up. And um, you know, and sometimes that's it is the right approach in some yeah. cases, but. Also, it helps us sit there and kind of think of it from a general point of view first. In previous companies, when I started out, we would get a problem from a customer with no details mm -hmm. and be expected to figure it out. And we would go, I would go along with that and start trying to figure out a way to get to what they said is broken instead of pushing back and demanding details. And it would be quite a waste of time because even if you did recreate it, it's probably not what the customer was doing when they did it and it's not gonna match up. So. Or, or or worse, you find another bug, which is unrelated, <laughs> but. <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah, so I guess it would more be like organized and not you know requiring that you get enough information before you start working on something. Shifting gears into an employee-based question. For someone who's entering the industry today and who's hoping to have a similar career path as you guys, what is one piece of advice you would give them? Well, I think uh, what I'm amazed about today is that uh, through Google and Stack Exchange, it's amazing how much information is there at our fingertips. So like when you get stuck, it's insane how quickly you can become unstuck because no matter what, somebody in this world has run into the same damn problem and uh, knows how to get out of it or at least has some ideas that can set you on the right track. I'm afraid to give advice to sit there and rely on the internet to solve your problem. Uh, but on the other hand, uh, you know, I, th I think there's a lot more information at, at it's, there's an amazing amount of information at our fingertips out there. And there are other people who have run into the same problems as you. And uh, all you need to do is search for it and uh, it often could get you on the right track. It's, it's great advice, know how to Google. Um. <laughs> yeah, thanks. <laughs> that every day. <laughs> I'm not sure the new kids know about that, you know. <laughs> I guess I would say that when you're first starting out, don't be afraid to take a job that's maybe not exactly where you wanna be, but some uh, something a little lesser, you can learn a lot in these jobs. Um, when I started out in support, I was, you know, doing phone support and you know, working with customers, but you really learn a lot about the products that you're going to be working on. And it, for the transition to, for me, from going to support to QA 
was that I had a great knowledge of what the customers wanted and what they were looking at. So when I transitioned into QA, I kind of knew the products I was working on and then kind of had a different perspective on testing it because I was coming from seeing what the customers were actually trying to do. So it kind of paved the way and gave me a good background when I got into QA. You guys have been on the other side of the table in terms of interviewing people when they come in to join your teams. Um, apart from the job qualifications, what do you look for in a candidate before you say yes? I always, you know, I had a list of questions I developed after a while that seemed to be pretty good as far as fine, figuring out the knowledge, but I was also really interested in how they dealt with questions they didn't know. Does the person try to make something up or come up with something or did they kind of be honest with you? And I think that's the better approach. And then, you know, even when they're not getting the questions right, you can kind of still figure out what they're trying to do to solve the questions as you're asking them. So I think it's important in the interview to, you know, don't say anything that you don't really understand or you don't know and, you know, try to figure out things or ask questions back to clarify questions you don't understand, you know, because they're the person that's interviewing is also checking the personality to see if they want to work with the person that's on the other side. Yeah, that flexibility, flexibility is key because uh, honestly, what you know, what you know coming out of college is not what you're going to be working on probably five, 10 years down the line. And, and you need to be able to be flexible enough to kind of pick up stuff as fast as you can. Um, especially in smaller companies uh, where, where things change much, much more quickly. So I, 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 flexibility is like one of the things I, I, I'm trying to look for. And uh, also enthusiasm. Um, I, there's also like a, there's a certain personality, like I, um, in engineering, I, you often meet these, uh, uh, there's often folks who it's my way, my way to do it is the right way to do it. And let me tell you why. And I don't want to hear anything else. And I generally try to avoid those, those folks because unfortunately I've found that they do not work as smart as they can be and as qualified as they might be, they just do not work very well uh, in a team, team type environment. Um, people need to be able to listen to others and take advice and no matter how, how experienced you are, uh, you need to keep an open mind. You, you mentioned flexibility. How do you look for that in an interview? Like, you know, to admit like, no, I don't know how to do that, but I know how to look it up and I'm not afraid to look it up and learn it. Um, you, you can see from the attitude, like, you know, I'm used to doing this and I'm used to learning on the fly and people, people, you know, it's the kind of confidence they give in those, those answers um, um, that you can kind of tell that, that that's how they work. Uh, how do you go in and convince a room of experts that, hey, I have a way of solving this problem can we look into it and how does that happen for someone who's pretty new in the space or pretty new in the industry to go into a room full of individuals to sell his or her ideas well i, th I think first you got to do your homework uh you, you have to prepare and you have to um you have to understand that sometimes there's more than one way to uh to solve a problem and so somebody else in the room might have uh, an alternative and that alternative may be better than what you're pitching uh but you, you need to be able to defend your pitch uh, with your idea and your your solution against it um and you also be able to, sometimes you're gonna have to swallow your pride and realize that oh that is the that is a better approach and i didn't really think about it that way and um you know it's people who kind of stick to their guns and will not bend or will not compromise on the design. Uh, that, that's where things get into trouble, uh, especially if you talk about like, you know, 
so you're talking a younger person. So a lot of times senior will have a certain idea and somebody new will come in and have a completely novel approach to how to solve that problem, uh, which may be a heck of a lot better, but you know, they won't listen. Um, well, I think a lot of it, I would agree with what Mike said that you, when you're going to pitch an idea, especially if you're coming into senior people, you want to be very well prepared, uh, try to cover as many angles as you can, test it, verify that it works the way you think it does, but also be open to criticism and, you know, you're not always going to be right when you go in there, but don't be afraid to pitch ideas. And hopefully the senior people are going to be open to that. Um, it's like Mike said, it's difficult to work with people who aren't going to listen to ideas and all, or take it as an insult if you question something they're doing. That's uh, that's key there. The, the, the pitching, pitching the ideas and continuing to pitch the ideas. Eventually, you know, if they're not listening to you the first time, you pitch enough good ideas and eventually they're going to start, oh, you know, that doesn't sound so bad. Um, so it's, to, you know, definitely be persistent about it. Prototyping always helped me out. Um, I would do it on my own time when I wanted to pitch pitch an idea. I think as you go through what you're going to pitch to, you'll start questions will hit you as to what someone might ask you. And that leads to even better preparation. If yeah. You say, well, if I say this, what if somebody asked this? And then you try to cover that too ahead of time. And you can't cover everything, but just got to do the best you can. So uh, my next question takes us a little bit out of the workplace. Um, you know, I, I always believe that the work you do outside of your 40-hour work week is just as important as the work you do within that 40-hour work week towards your career. What advice would you give someone who's, you know, trying to start that work outside of that 40-hour work week to help with their career? Uh, personally, I find the tech websites uh, extremely useful for, uh, I, I, on a daily basis, I read uh, websites like Ars Technica, uh, which is just kind of industry news and uh, the, reg uh, the register and uh, which uh, IT website. There's all kinds of articles that will kind of hit parts of your interests, like uh, that intersect with what you're doing at work. And you can, but they're often tangential, like not quite, you start reading those articles and you, you'll learn more things that are kind of tangential to your business. And uh, and suddenly like, you know, if you're down the line when you're moving into your uh, your company's products are moving into, into that direction, uh, you already know some of that stuff and be familiar with how, how things got, got there. Uh, so I'd say so stay 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 up to date with like the latest tech news, um, and, and don't be afraid to read about stuff that's not quite you know what you work on. Yeah, I think I think it's more of the same for me. And even preparing for this interview, I figured, well, what if they ask me about Wi-Fi seven? So right on to Google because I haven't really started working on that yet or not. But you know, it's like, oh, what are the new features in Wi-Fi seven? And you get a list of them, and then those usually lead to more articles and. You know, could keep going until you find something that you feel comfortable reading and you understand it or just keep trying until you do. The next question, uh, you guys talk about all of these interests you have, right? Like Ars Technica or keeping up to speed with where the industry is going towards. Uh, a common topic that you hear now is, oh, work-life balance. We need to figure out the sweet spot between work and focusing on life outside, et cetera, et cetera. In your opinion, what is that sweet spot for work-life balance that one needs to arrive at? If I can go first with that one, I, I think it changes as you go along. 
based on what your outside life is like. I mean, some people might be young and single and they're really into this technology and they want to just do that all the time. And then other people are married and have children and you got to take time for that and make sure that you, your work doesn't you know, take you away from important things that you have on the outside. So um, it, I think work-wise, the intensity of how much time you need to spend changes. Like right now, we've got a deadline coming up to release software next week. And it's like, you know, you might have to work some on the weekend and all, but once you get through that, you need to really kind of sit back a little bit, you know, try to just do your 40 hour week and spend time with your family and do another interest. Uh, you don't want to burn yourself out by just being too wrapped up in the technology all the time. So having other hobbies and things that just take your mind completely off of the tech business is is always good totally agree i uh personally i think you know as, as when you're younger and you're trying to get established it's it's very common to work extremely hard and very long hours but uh i don't know it, as you get older i think you know it, it's important to have that uh, outside time um and uh you know to work hard when you need to but um i, I hear in some industries where people are working, you know, like the software and gaming industry, the, the amount of hours that they work uh, is, is, to me is insane. Uh, but if, if it's something that they love, then I'll go, okay. Uh, but I, I personally, I don't see it. it. It looks like a quick way to break down and burn yourself out very quickly. I am going to shift topics a little bit and um, move to management. Uh, you guys must have had multiple opportunities to be managers in your careers. Um, why, why do you think someone should move into management or someone should not move into management? That's one thing. And secondly, um, as, you know, as great individual contributors, um, what do you guys look for in your managers to be successful? Earlier in my career, I had several micromanagers and I did not enjoy that at all. So I more or less have ever since then, I have looked for managers that I uh, that communicate what I need to know well and then let me do it. And, uh, and so far, I, I have been blessed with some great managers in the uh, re currently and, and re in the past. Uh, so that's uh, that's important to me. I don't I, I, and I don't I don't appreciate people getting into my day to day constantly looking for uh, um, updates and telling me uh, changing what I need to do on the fly. For me, I in my previous job, I had a great manager and I realized it more when I moved on to my next job. Um, he would pretty much let us, you know, he'd give us work that we needed to do and assignments, but he didn't stand over us and make sure we were doing it. It was pretty much as long as you got your work done, you could, you know, work the hours that you wanted more or less. And, you know, as long as you were getting results, he wasn't going to be on top of you watching what you were doing. And once that job kind of got closed off and I moved on and I, got to my next job and my yearly review came up and all the things that I was told that I did well I was like oh geez I really appreciate my last manager because most of it came from the way I worked back then. I'm sure you guys have heard Sturm the great resignation that uh, the industry is seeing now. So what are some of the factors that motivate employee to stay in a company versus switch jobs and go to another company. Actually, I want to add to that question a little bit before the answers. You guys have been through a lot of acquisitions um, 
right? So acquisitions are usually the time when employees um, start thinking about whether they stay or whether they leave. And um, you guys have chosen to stay slash leave. So part two of that question is like, you know, how, how do you decide whether to stay in, in when there is an acquisition? Through the acquisitions. So, you know, you're kind of established in one company and you set up the way things are being done. And then a new company comes in and they can decide whether they're going to change things and whether they change management and all. And I, I think it all comes down to whether you feel like you're being treated fairly and hopefully you're being appreciated. Um, compensation is definitely going to play a factor in there, but I think people, I mean, people want to get paid well, but they also want people letting them know that what they're doing is valuable and important. And I think sometimes that's just as important in different times during our acquisitions and companies weren't doing well. We had like raise freezes for years and things and people stayed. And I think it was because they liked the people they were working with and they felt they were being treated fairly and they knew the company was struggling a little bit. So I think it's mostly how you're being treated and how you feel about that. It's whether at least for me on whether I would decide to stay or leave somewhere. 18 or so years I worked with Jim uh, that that core group of people that we we all work together so the the one we went through all those acquisitions but really it was the same we were working on the same exact product with the same exact people maybe some of the upper management layers changed uh but for the most part it was the same people and the same product and same uh challenges and uh i think as long as you really love the people you're working with and you love what, what you're doing then that's 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 what you gotta do um, and so for me it was an easy decision to stay stay there that whole time and uh, you know honestly career-wise maybe i could be making more somewhere else but i don't care it's um I, I enjoyed that whole time and i don't i don't regret any of it so i i feel like i learn a lot day to day from everybody around me take another thing to mike's point about the people that you're working with you'll notice that like when companies make changes and people get laid off you see like one person will go to another company and then someone will follow them and another one will follow them and i don't know if that's got anything to do with me and mike but (laughs) (laughs) all right it's like oh yeah who's going to open up the floodgates so that you just have an exodus of people moving out (laughs) In our current company where we are, I think there's nine people from my previous company that have joined. Well, you guys spoke a lot about the industry and the innovation, everything that's moving forward and how to keep up. For you personally at your jobs, um, how do you decide whether whether to do things a new way or whether to use tools that are already available? I think you always got to try to keep open to new ideas. I mean, I've been on times where I'm working with somebody and then I'll just see them even like throw some key combination that does something to be like hey, wait a minute how'd you do that and it's you know something simple but it's try to always be open to new ideas um you know and if you're running into dead ends you need to look for them yourself like it's, you need to test certain things and you're just not getting it done or you know I'm sure it's true in development too if you're struggling with certain tools and you need to probably try to do some research on your own if you can and or, and your colleagues are always great people to talk to too. I've had plenty of times I think somebody told me I was good at using the resources by going around and asking other people certain things. Uh, Mike had mentioned a hardware guy that we worked with and anytime a new AP would come in, I would just take a pop the top off it and walk over and show it to him and ask him about it. And he'd tell me, oh, it looks like it'll probably have trouble with this and it'll be good at that. And then, you know, you're kind of cheating there and you get things to go back and test on it and check it out. So you mentioned like uh, things that you're, you're... Uh, an expert at 
versus learning. So the thing about being kind of an expert at something is that you, you also tend to learn um, the downsides of something, the limitations of it. And uh, so a lot of times, you, you know, like, okay, this isn't going to be the best way to solve this. But uh, sometimes uh, what you face is uh, there's a time pressure on some problems. Like you need to, we need to get this now to this customer versus, all right, this, this is the new feature coming up in our next release. Uh, so we have this much time, you know, a lot of time to do it. So sometimes those decisions have to be based on time. Um, sometimes you can take what you already know and kind of force it to solve this this problem quickly, uh, even though it's going to have certain limitations. Um, but if you've got a little bit more runway, then that's a good that's a great time to start learning and innovating, uh, using another solution. Especially as so Jim mentioned, like your colleagues, everyone comes from a different background. Everyone's used different tools and different methods and uh, the people around you are your best resource often for figuring out problems and, and finding other ways of other ways of doing things. Um, there's often more than one solution to how to how to do something. Yeah, co colleagues are a great resource. The the second resource I would say for me at least, I've learned very very small things from customers too. Mm. Um, I would get on calls with them, and for example, a customer showed me that uh, you can just you know, type CMD on your file explorer and it'll open, uh, it'll open a command window uh, for Windows to that file path. And the audience that we end up catering to, we are a customer facing organization, uh, either directly or indirectly, right? So how do you keep a pace with changing expectations from your audience or your customer base? Uh, I, th I think for us, we have good communication with a lot of our customers, especially the major ones. So we can have meetings with them to see what their roadmap looks like. Uh, a lot of times they're very open with that because they're expecting us to have products ready to test their products when they come out. So I think good communication with the customer um, seems to keep coming back to researching things online and just seeing what's coming and what technologies like, you know, when 802 1X came out, there was a lot of summaries of what the new features were. And then maybe you can bring them back to the customers and try to see what they're interested in so that you can try to spend your time effectively developing, you know, in the right areas of what's, what's going to be popular and what's, what's needed. For me as a developer, I kind of operate a layer away from the customer with, uh, you know, the support engineers in between. Uh, so for me, it's, I'm utterly reliant on the support engineers and, uh, <laughs> Thankfully, I have some great support engineers here uh, that are fantastic at, at uh, translating what the customer is saying into engineering requirements. Uh, that's often the hardest thing because I, I the worst thing for us is when we get the kind of the customer direct information, but no hard, you know, okay, we need to do this, this, and this. Um, that translation is very important. So uh, before we move on to our last question, I'm going to turn things around a little bit in this interview. Do you guys have any questions that you want to ask Karthik and me? So I guess my question to you guys is, as, as younger engineers, uh, to me, it seems like technology is accelerating. You know, the pace of change is, is picking up. And, and so that learn to learn, that's extremely important because you, you have no choice. Uh, your future in this industry, do you, do you worry about that pace or, or do you, are you confident that you can keep up with how fast it's changing? I can take this first. Like, I think without Hacker News or Hacker Noon or Reddit, I think you 
wouldn't know at what pace the industry is moving. Like I know back in 2014 when I started, big data was the word. Oh yeah, big data is this. Data science is this. AI is this. And it's funny. Eight years later, you're like the world's driven by AI. The world's driven by data science. And it blows your mind off in terms of the the, the capabilities that uh, AI and data science have to offer uh, to mankind and that, that human evolution and all of that. Uh, it's exciting to some extent where you're getting to learn a lot of new stuff, but you do realize at one point it's going to hit plateau where you're like, uh, okay, this is way too much innovation that's going on. And you just end up becoming a master of one rather than being a jack of all trades. Mm-hmm. You know, for me, the the answer to that question is I keep up with the industry mostly on LinkedIn. Um, there's there's like news that comes out about the tech industry every day that I subscribe to here and there. But for me, rather than reading about industry news, it's more about working on it. I don't learn by reading. Um, I learn by actually doing it and working with with the the latest stuff so that's that's what I like about my current job as well that you know like Jim said we we stay at the um at the leading edge of the industry so we're like the first people to get our hands on say wi-fi 7 for example that's one part of it and the second part of it is um also learning from people around me because I learn not just by doing but also by talking to people about about it um you know co-workers are I don't want to say, it, but, but they're great sounding boards as well in terms of, you know, talking about ideas about what's coming up. And, you know, I think it's very important to work with people who are as interested in, in whatever is coming up. Uh, so let's move on to our last question. Uh, Mike and Jim, how would you define success? Uh, are you happy? Give <laughs> <laughs> me to it. <laughs> yeah, just... Um... I mean, you get one life and try to make it try, try to make it a happy one. So um, do what you enjoy and surround yourself with people you enjoy and uh, and uh, you're halfway there. <laughs> you guys have big smiles on your faces when you're saying that. So I think you're very successful people in general. Oh, thanks. <laughs> and overall happy as well. Yeah. yeah, I think it's good. It's good if you're working with people that you like and, you know, people that you're respected, you respect them, they respect you and, you know, you're making a good living and you've got an outside life and that the work-life balance, it's probably different for everybody, but you got to find a place where you're, you're happy with that. All right. Well, thank you so much for doing this interview with us. This was a lot of fun. I think I learned a lot about you guys that I didn't know before. Um, I mean, We've had hallway conversations a lot, but um, this was in a different form and it was nice to talk to you guys. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you very much.